We talk an awful lot about prayer, don't we? Man, we really labor the point sometimes. I mean, we're a church, so it kind of comes with the territory that we're expected to talk about prayer. We talk about it here every month. We have our 24-7 prayer weeks. We have our prayer ministry teams. Um, We have so many things. Some people um, in this church get up at the crack of dawn just to pray. Some people have been praying in prayer triplets or prayer squares or whatever you want to call them for years and years. Some people have been praying for the same thing for a really long time. Praying for a family member to come to Jesus. Praying for healing from um, an illness that threatens our life or the life of someone that we love. Praying for a job that we just really need because we're desperate. And in the midst of that, it can be so hard to keep believing that it will actually work. As we persist in prayer, it can be really hard to keep believing in the power of it. We keep doing it, we keep praying. But do we really believe, do we always believe that it will work? It is hard. It's hard to keep believing sometimes. So there's this guy um, called Pete Gregg. Some of you might have heard of him. He is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. He's spoken here a few times, and he has lots of really good things to say about prayer. He's really good at talking about it, really good at turning a phrase and getting everybody excited. And he's written lots of books on prayer. Um, and he wrote, he wrote one recently, and I've, I was reading it um, over Christmas. And he said this, this thing in it that just uh, completely... Um, floored me. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, In this book, Pete said, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's a fairly awkward time to make that kind of confession. You know, you save it for uh, over your, you know, with your family, Pete, don't put it in your book. Um, you know, work through that first. Um, he didn't actually, he didn't stop there. He, he finished. Don't worry. Um, he said, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. So I talk to him. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. So I talk to him. Talk about a shift in perspective. I wondered when I read that how often I have believed um, in the power of my prayers alone. Do you know how I thought that I had to depend on the power of my own words to get the thing done? And I've forgotten so quickly about the power of the one that I am talking to. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. So I talked to him. So tonight, we're going to get real. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. We're going to go to the heart of it. I, um, I did something really brave a few weeks ago. I deleted my Facebook. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep, feeling good. Feeling good. I had a really big vision for why I wanted to get rid of Facebook. Um, do you know, I just, I was, I was so ready for it. I thought my life, my, my life post Facebook is going to be amazing. I'm going to have so much time. 
on my hands. I'm not going to know all this unnecessary information. I'm sorry, but that is what it is. All this unnecessary information cluttering up my brain. I'm not going to have that. I'm actually going to go to sleep whenever I say I'm going to go to sleep and not find myself an hour after I said I was going to go to sleep, like looking at holiday photos from five years ago of, you know, someone that I went to primary school with. I don't, I don't need to know. I'm sure you had a lovely time, but I really, I don't need to, I don't care. I don't need to see that. So I had a really big vision. Um, but um, I, I just knew like something had to change. Do you know, I need to get rid of Facebook. It is really hard to get rid of Facebook. They make it, I don't know if you've ever tried, they make it incredibly difficult. So the deactivate option, because you can't actually delete it. You just deactivate it, but delete sounds better. So the deactivate option is buried so deep in the depths of Facebook that I actually, I spent like 10, 15 minutes looking for it and in the end I had to Google how to, how to delete Facebook. I just, I felt so deflated. I felt like my mum whenever she calls me and asks me how to open a Word document, you know, for the 50th time. That is what I felt like. I, I had a moment of understanding. But I had this vision of what I wanted my life to be like. And the longer I persevered in my quest to delete Facebook, the more that vision just kind of dwindled away. And I just wanted to find that stupid option and just get it done. I forgot about wanting more time. I forgot about all of the good things it was going to do to my life. And I just was like, just get rid of it. I just want that one thing. I just want that one thing. Well, I'm out now. Feeling great. It's good. Uh, Apparently, you still exist beyond Facebook. And uh, I have no idea what's going on in any of your lives, uh, unless you've told me, uh, or unless you've put it on Instagram, because... It's baby steps, you know, one thing at a time. I was, um, I was thinking about that this week, and it reminded me of how I sometimes pray. Because, you know, you persevere over this one thing that you want. You persevere and you persevere. You persist over this petition that you have. You're searching deep for an answer. It's real stuff. You're searching for an answer, for a solution. And it just gets harder and harder. How long, O Lord, becomes very real indeed. You're asking and your voice is hoarse. You are seeking and your eyes are weary. You are knocking and your knuckles are raw and bleeding. Our need is real. Our desire is strong. We do all that we can and every way that we can to keep our requests in front of us to keep persisting in our requests and we forget so easily about the one that we are laying our requests in front of. Our perspective narrows. We lose sight of the vision. We miss the point. So tonight I want to talk about perseverance. How do you keep going in prayer? Why do you bother keeping on going in prayer? What is the point of persevering in prayer? I want to make a fairly audacious claim. I I don't actually think that we're called to persevere in prayer. I do not think we are called to persevere in prayer. I think we're called to pray. Yes, we are called to pray at all times, in every way, with all sorts of prayers. But I don't think we're called to persevere in prayer. I think we're called to persevere in the presence of God. 
When we grow weary of praying for the same thing or the same person or the same situation, it's because we've lost sight of Jesus. We have lost sight of the presence of God. That's when we grow weary. So here's my point. If you hear nothing else tonight, then hear this. The one we are praying to is more important than the thing we are praying for. The one we are praying to is more important than the thing we are praying for. I'd love us to look at one of the Psalms together. I've always found them so helpful in modeling a healthy prayer life because they're real. They're full of anguish and they're full of joy. They're full of light and darkness. They're sometimes angry. Sometimes they're a bit overdramatic. But they're always worshipful. Real worship. Not in a glib way. Not in a, I'm a Christian so I probably should do this kind of way. They're real. And David, who wrote um, a lot of the Psalms, he lived this incredible life of worship before God. He brought everything to God. He didn't leave anything out. He brought everything to God. But most importantly, he acknowledged God in everything. So I'd love us to read um, Psalm 130 together. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. And this Psalm, it might not have been written by David. It doesn't actually say... Um, whether it was, but to me, it sounds like David because of the perspective that it has. Whether he wrote it or not doesn't really matter. Um, Let's read it together. This is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Out of the depths I cry to you. We have all been in the depths. If you're an Ireland fan, you might have been in the depths this weekend. Come the day, come the hour, shoulder to shoulder, our day will come. Um, I, I, I kind of am making that up because I, I didn't really know that Ireland was playing yeah, the other day, yesterday. I don't even know. Um, so that was, that was me just trying to connect in a, in a different way. Um, but, you know, still, I feel like because I'm from there, I have to care somewhat. Um, I'm pretty sure it was rugby. I don't really know. Anyway. But I'm sure some of the Ireland fans were in the depths. Is, I'm, I'm pretty sure. We're, we're pretty good at, that, at being in the depths of despair. Um, but we, have, we will all have been in our own depths. You know, little depths and big depths. Depths of fear and anxiety, illness, grief, loss, rejection, whatever it is. And in the midst of that, so many of us will have cried out to God. We will have cried out to him in the midst of that. And you know, we are in good company with the psalmist. 
because he gets right to the point. God, everything is falling apart, just in case you haven't noticed. I am at my wit's end. I am at the end of my tether. I need you, and I need you to listen to me. Hear my voice. It is okay to cry out to God. It is okay to cry out to God. It is okay to get real with him when it seems that the bottom has fallen out of your life and you are headlong in the depths or a toe in the depths, whatever it is, follow suit to the psalmist. When you have been crying out for so long that you feel like a broken record, Remember this psalm and all the others like it and implore God to listen to you. And that's important. Implore God to listen to you. Out of the depths, I cry to you. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. I make my pleas to the one who can help me. The depths are hard and horrible. Yes, the road is long and I have been on it for so long. Yes, but my eyes are towards you. It is you that I am crying out to. Remember who you are talking to. Remember who you're talking to. Keep on praying for the impossible things. Yes, But remember who you're talking to because that is the key. Everything changes when we remember that we don't just pray for the impossible things, but we pray to the God of the impossible things for whom nothing is impossible. Our focus shifts then and everything changes. Remember who you are talking to. Remember who you're talking to. In the middle of this psalm, um, verses five and six, I love these verses. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Waiting is hard. I hate waiting. I really, I really hate waiting. I hate waiting for my computer to start. I hate waiting for my computer to shut down because it's really slow. And I, I feel like I can't go away until it's actually finished its thing. I hate waiting. Oh, I hate waiting. I hate being on hold. I hate that music. It's horrible. I hate waiting at the airport. I hate queues. I really don't like queues. And I really, I think my pet peeve is unnecessary queues. So, do you know when you're, I just, it baffles me when you're at the airport. And, and the, the airline person has like only just walked up to the desk and people are queuing. Like they haven't said anything yet. The flight hasn't been called, but people are queuing. Just, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense because everybody has an allocated seat. Do you know, everybody has an allocated seat. You are not going to get onto the plane any quicker. Just sit down. And all of this rage is going on internally and, and externally. I am this picture of, of, you know, complete calm. I'm just sitting there so chilled, like reading my newspaper, listening to my music, raging internally at all of these stupid people that are queuing. What are you doing? You know, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. 
Why? Why are you doing that? So I wait. I go the opposite direction and I wait until the very last moment that I can. And then I get up and I walk straight onto the plane. And I feel so good about myself because I know that I've got this boarding thing down. You know? I know, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I hate waiting. And yet, I am waiting. I am waiting. I am waiting for so many things. For big things and for small things. For things that are really important, things that are not that important. I am waiting. And so often when I have read these verses in the midst of my waiting, I've really clung on to that word wait. As if it kind of qualified my waiting somewhat. It's in the Bible. It's okay to wait It's there, it's right there. God makes us wait. And from there, my focus and attention almost always jumps to the things that I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for this. My soul is waiting for this. And my soul is waiting for that. Maybe you're the same. What What are you waiting on? This question is everywhere. What are you waiting for? We're all waiting for something right? We're all waiting for something. Well, we're not. We're not. You and I, we're not. Read that again. What are you waiting for? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Not a thing, but a person not a thing, but a person. When we shift our focus from the one that we should be waiting for to the thing that we're waiting for, that is when perseverance in prayer becomes hard and painful. You get weary because it's hard, but you stay weary whenever you take your eyes off Jesus. And if you're here today and it's hard and it's been such a long time of waiting, of persevering and of pushing through and of keeping on going and you think that lifting your eyes to Jesus is just one more thing that you can't manage. I want to encourage you that that is not true because Psalm 3 tells us that he is the one who lifts our head. He is the lifter of our head. So this is not a a rant and a command to say, stop waiting on that thing that that you want whenever you should be waiting on the Lord. Let him lift your head. Let him be the lifter of your head. He will meet you in the midst of your waiting. Of course you can't do it by yourself. He never asked you to, but he did ask you to wait on him. Remember who you are waiting for. Remember who he is. Remember who you're waiting for. So maybe David didn't write Psalm 130, but you know, he knew about crying out to God from the depths of his soul. He knew about immeasurable grief. In 2 Samuel 12, we read this really hard part of David's story. His son is sick. 
David has messed up pretty bad. He uh, slept with someone else's wife. He got her pregnant. Then he had her husband killed to cover it up. And then he got found out. But he was forgiven as well. God forgave him. Amazing. But yet the consequence of his sin was that his son was sick. His son was sick. So let me read to you from 2 Samuel 12. It'll be on the screen behind me, and this is from the message translation. David prayed desperately to God for the little boy. He fasted, wouldn't go out, and slept on the floor. The elders in his family came and tried to get him off the floor, but he wouldn't budge, nor could they get him to eat anything. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him. They said, what do we do now? While the child was living, he wouldn't listen to a word we said. Now with the child dead, if we speak to him, there's no telling what he'll do. David noticed that the servants were whispering behind his back and he realized that the boy must have died. He asked the servants, is the boy dead? Yes, they answered, he's dead. And then listen to this. David got up from the floor. He washed his face, combed his hair, put on a fresh change of clothes, and then went into the sanctuary and worshipped. He went into the sanctuary and worshipped. Why did he do that? How could he do that? You know, I believe that David could do that, not because he was ignoring his pain or deferring it, but because he had postured himself in such a way that he knew, despite his pain, the goodness of God remained. Because the goodness of God for David was not dependent on how God answered his prayer. David didn't believe in the power of prayer. David believed in the power of God, and so he talked to him. He knew who he was talking to. He knew who he was waiting on. He knew that the one he was praying to was more important, as hard as it might be, was more important than the thing he was praying for, and so he worshipped And just in case we forget to mention it, God does answer prayer. You can breathe a sigh of relief. He wouldn't tell us to pray if it was just an exercise to see how far he can push us. Because that's not who he is. And you know, we get to come right in as well. We get to come right in. We don't petition God from afar. Because of Jesus' finished work for us on the cross, we get to boldly approach the throne of the Father and talk to him and ask him for the things that are so important to us, that are so real for us. We get to come right in. Our friend Emily, who we heard from earlier, she came right in. And she prayed for healing for herself and others prayed for her for 20 years, something like that. And Emily walks and dances and jumps today because she is healed. And then she prays for that lady in Bradford, passes it on. She comes right in 
God answers prayer. He does. But this is about perspective. We pray and we keep on praying, not because prayer is powerful, but because God is powerful. And directing our vision and our attention to him was always the point. It was always the point. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, it wasn't because they had never done it before. They had just never seen it done like that before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And before I say anything else, your kingdom come and your will be done. Persisting in prayer is not about keeping your eyes on the prize and waiting on the answer. It is about keeping your eyes on Jesus, trusting that he is the answer. And that is what brings transformation. That is what brings breakthrough and healing. Jesus, the vision, is always, always, always Jesus. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, will you come and place yourself in front of us? Let us see where you are. Will you come and lift the heads of those who are too weary to lift them for themselves? Will you raise our eyes towards you so that we can see you? Will you give us a fresh perspective on what it means to keep on praying? Will you forgive us for where we have let other things, other desires, other longings and needs be our vision when actually you are and always should be our vision. Will you forgive us? And will you help us? Will you come and bring transformation to our hearts and to our minds as we pray? So that we become people marked by our focus on you. Because you've said that people will know who you are by the way that we love each other. By the way that we put our attention towards you. So will you help us to hold each other up in this as well? I pray for those who feel alone. They feel alone in their persisting tonight. I pray that they will find a friend, that they will find someone to stand alongside them. And I pray most of all that they will know your friendship, Holy Spirit, our comforter, the one sent to help us. Amen.